Following Jesus in the present age is a perennial task. Join me, Ian Panth, biblical scholar and theologian, as I walk through the Christian scriptures and think theology out loud. If you want to dig deeper into the Bible or engage in God talk, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome. I invite you to listen in on my daily personal reflections as I follow the Robert Murray McShane Bible Reading Plan. You can find this plan on, for instance, BiblePlans.org. I'm recording these reflections, or daily devotions, to provide one example of how one individual reflects upon and reacts to Scripture. My hope is that in listening in on my personal reflections, you, the listener, will be encouraged in the development of your own daily Scripture reading habits and begin to hear, to hear the Spirit speaking to you through the Scripture. These reflections are not examples of deep exegesis and interpretation. For that, you can listen to my Slow Walk Through Revelation series or other podcasts that I produce. Rather, I'm inviting you to listen in on how my Spirit responds to the Scriptures and the Holy Spirit as He speaks to me through this daily habit. Feel free to join me twice daily as I divide the McShane family reading into morning and evening reflections. The secret readings I keep to myself. Also, feel free to simply listen to the scripture reading and spend time with the spirit and the text to form your own habit of listening to the spirit in the text. The evening's reading for July 19th is Acts chapter 6, as we follow along the Robert Murray McShane Bible reading plan. I will be reading from Joel Anderson's translation of the New Testament, which you can find on Amazon.com. And, uh, yeah, so Acts chapter 6. In those days, with the disciples growing in number, the Hellenists were complaining about the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily ministry. So the twelve called the full number of disciples together and said, It's not right for us to neglect the word of God to serve at tables. But you, brothers and sisters, pick out seven men who are well attested from among you, full of the spirit and wisdom. We will put them in charge of these needs, but we will devote ourselves to prayer and, ser- and to service. The word pleased the whole community, so they called out Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, as well as Philip, Procurus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. They stood before the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. The word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem greatly increased. Even a great number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now Stephen, full of grace and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Some men, though, from the synagogue of freed men, as it was called, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia, took a stand and argued with Stephen. 
but they were not able to withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he spoke. So they secretly got some men to say, We heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. In doing so, they stirred up the people, the elders and the scribes. After they confronted him, they dragged him off and led him to the Sanhedrin, where they set up false witnesses to say, This man does not stop speaking words against this holy place and the Torah. We heard him say that this Jesus, the Nazarene, will tear down this place and will change the customs that Moses handed down to us. Everyone seated in the Sanhedrin fixed their eyes on him. They saw that his face was like the face of an angel. So Acts chapter 6 is a pretty short chapter, and I think because the as the Stephen stuff, yeah, the Stephen stuff is going to continue with Acts chapter 7. Um, I'm, I might see what I, uh, what just looking at the first seven verses here brings out. So, in those days with the disciples growing in number, the Hellenists were complaining about the Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily ministry. So, one of the things here, just understanding the the context is uh, with so the, the various groups, the various empires that had conquered uh, Judah at this point. So Babylon, then the Persians, then the Greeks, then the Romans. So uh, uh, Hellenist is uh, Greekified. So, uh, Hellenized, Greekified. So, under the Greek Empire, uh, there was a strong push. I guess there's different ways the empires can seek to control uh, the the people that they're dominating. The foreign, the foreign element, shall we say? Um, and so, under certain empires like the the Persians. Uh, clearly like Cyrus is almost a, a hero in uh, the Jewish tradition because he allowed the people to go back to their home home in uh, Israel and specifically Jerusalem and to be, begin rebuilding it. So uh, in contrast to Babylon where people were exiled, uh, Cyrus gains seeks to gain the favor of the people by uh, kind of allowing them to to return to their homeland to rebuild so creating sort of like a positive interaction between the people so uh, maybe they're less likely to revolt against them or uh, grumble about taxes and other things that they need to pay uh, the Greeks in contrast um, at least Antiochus Epiphanes. I'm not an expert in Greek culture, so I'm looking at it from the the biblical context and and the the what I know about that context. So in, under the Greek culture, it's like, well, if you want to be a Greek, a Hellen, uh, then you need to be Hellenized or Greekified. So uh, you you do that by making everybody one. Hey, look, we all worship the same gods. You know that. Uh, that Yahweh that you worship, that one you call Lord, well, we worship that God too. 
we call him Zeus. So from now on, you just if you just call that god Zeus, uh, the one who you say brought you out of Egypt, okay, we just we just call him Zeus. Uh, so uh, to the point of Antiochus Epiphanes actually putting, I believe, uh, a idol of Zeus in in the temple. Um, and so they also, it's like, well, you know, you stand out if you practice the Sabbath stuff. So we got to stop that. Uh, the fact that you guys are circumcised. Well, since we do a lot of our sports and stuff, uh, naked, which is where we get the word gymnasium from, uh, it's basically the, the naked place. Uh, you, uh, probably don't want to be circumcised and if you're already circumcised and you really want to fit in well then there you need to have a little surgery so that the fact that you're circumcised isn't so apparent so undo that circumcision uh, eat eat pork because that's gonna help you fit in too so all these things and that's the, the Maccabees ended up revolting against that um, but the this process of Hellenization was so, uh, in in some ways, effective and powerful that even under the Roman Empire, and Rome is associated with Latin, that the lingua franca was Greek. So that was the language of business and language of the empire. Like lots of people spoke Greek, and that that really that stays in place. That's why our uh, even though it's under the Roman Empire, that's why our New Testament is in Greek. That's why there was a Greek translation of the Hebrew scriptures uh, called the Septuagint, which is predominantly what the the Jews in the time of Jesus were reading and which the uh, New Testament authors were often citing and quoting that was the predominant scriptures of the early church was the Greek translation of the Jewish scriptures so uh, the Hellenized there was a tension between uh, those uh, Jews who were Hellenized, that is, that uh, didn't speak Hebrew, that in, adopted at least some of the customs of their their kind of common culture, and didn't live in uh, what used to be Israel proper, so in the province of Judea in Jerusalem, and then those who were more uh, who could speak Hebrew, who lived in Jerusalem, uh, who probably kept more of the practices, uh, the cultural practices associated with the worship of uh, Yahweh, the God who brought them out of Egypt. And there was, a, there was a tension there. And so what we're seeing is that tension was carrying over into the Christian community to the point where it seemed like there was a some level of uh, perceived hierarchy between the Hebrews. Remember, Paul himself calls himself a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, the Hebrew 
uh, Hebraic Jews, now followers of Christ, and the Hellenized Jews, now followers of Christ, uh, to the point where the widows were being neglected. So maybe, um, I, I don't know exactly what was going on, but obviously they weren't getting, the, it, they, they felt that the widows were not being given their portion. Remember, everything at this point, the one of the marks of the church is that they're sharing everything in common. Well, are they? Because the widow, the Hellenized widows, don't seem to be getting uh, the same treatment as uh, uh, your own uh, Hebraic widows. So there was some tension there, and it seems to be at the table. So maybe I don't know. They're not being um, given a, a fair portion or being invited maybe so I don't we don't know exactly but that was already attention in the early church um, which of course is going to be ramped up as more and more Gentiles come in because if you already have attention between how different uh, Jewish Christians practice their uh, beliefs and rituals then when you invite Gentiles in whose rituals are they supposed to adopt and how uh, Hebraic are they supposed to become will be one of the questions that arise so you've got the 12 and and this reminds me of the story of Moses right it's like everybody comes to Moses uh, after the exodus and everybody's coming to Moses to solve their their problems, their disputes, their issues, their uh, questions over proper practices, and it, it's burning Moses out. And Moses' uh, father-in-law says, you don't have to do this on your own. You could appoint other people to handle some of these issues, and Moses appoints the other elders um, in the community, and the Spirit goes out to them. And of course, in uh, Acts and the early church, the view is that the Spirit is upon all believers. So certainly the 12 don't have to deal with everything. The whole point is that the Spirit goes out to all people, so there should be some... Uh, <laughs> there can be others involved than, than just the 12. Um, and it's, But it's interesting that they say, the 12 say, it's not right for us to neglect the Word of God to serve at table. So they're the apostles, the twelve, they recognize that their primary task at this point is the communicating of the word, the preaching of the word, the going out and uh, spreading the good news of the resurrection and the the coming of the the new kingdom and how and Jesus' vision for that new kingdom. That's their primary task. So if they're dealing with some of these um, in-house issues, inward-looking issues, they're not out uh, spreading the good news and making new disciples, right? So uh, they're, they're seeing that as, well, we're not supposed to, we shouldn't be neglecting this in order to do this. So we need to appoint people to deal with some of those in-house issues and to oversee that so they 
a point seven uh, what are called that's uh, what's diaconi in the Greek so deacons it becomes in English uh, you pick out seven men so they have them pick out seven men and they pick from you know it would be a problem if they picked all Hebraic Jews so all one side of this and all or all uh, Hellenized so they they seem to pick a mix so that everybody's represented and that those people then can kind of work together and ensure that everybody is being everybody's being taken care of right so that's part of the process here of well we do need some level of leadership here to say you know what uh if this group has a complaint or if they're being neglected we need someone to fairly adjudicate that and i take this like as an early like indication that the coming of the kingdom the establishing of the early church like one of the things that acts teaches us that paul's letters teach us is that and this came up a little bit in the um my morning's reflection is we're not done growing and the how and the process are still important important parts of our living so um you're not going to find a community of Christians who in which the kingdom has fully arrived uh, arrived and and there's nothing to work on for one reason hopefully there's always new believers coming in and so you're going to have people that create a little conflict and tension just as they begin to grow but hopefully also those christians who have been around a while also realize that the christian life is one of constantly growing and sometimes that's through conflict and and challenge and you can't just leap into like this full resurrection life part of being human being temporal creatures is that it's all a process and the how we do things is a key element it's not just leaping to the end um i had a recent and encounter with someone who uh has a passion for preaching but it you know it's that it's that street preaching style that uh i'm not even sure when what era that that began in but it it's probably sort of like the great awakening or second great awakening uh that you know reading bits of scripture and then expounding on it but ba- a lot of it is i don't know i i think it's a christianese kind of talk that if it worked in in the past day is probably not going to work now and just in you know friendly conversation with this per- person and it was a f- 
friendly conversation overall went okay um and their little community i just said you know you're i i love your passion i just wonder if the the way you're doing it matches the des the desire you have so um what i what i think is probably being heard as shouting at me while i'm in public space uh is not matching the the invitation that you're you're giving to people and i i question things like i i kind of challenge like well did jesus really go around kind of just telling people that they were sinners and i think if you read the new testament that jesus had a much more conversational style some of his teaching is put in sermon format but since he's wandering around for three years and most of the stories of interaction that we have with people is these little conversations that he has with people and it's not you're a sinner first uh, so this little community jumps straight to well John the Baptist did that and I'm like well John the Baptist isn't Jesus and John the Baptist uh, at, seemed not to fully understand what Jesus was doing either so maybe John the Baptist isn't our exemplar but Jesus is <laughs> Um, and what really saddened me was the, the the notion that they had to get people to understand they were sinners first, which I actually think a lot of people already feel broken, especially in our these COVID times is when I'm recording this and when they're out there doing that, that People need to be drawn into fellowship and relationship. And uh, what what are we talking about in this passage? Gathering at the table, table issues. Well, they need to be invited that into that first. And I said, well, aren't you just aren't you inviting people into worship? And what what does that worship look like? And I was really taken aback when this person who seems to really want to evangelize and draw people to Christ said oh I would never invite a sinner into worship and I was just I didn't really have a response because I was kind of dumbfounded I think I might have said well you might want to go back and see if Jesus invites sinners into worship um, and I might I think I brought up you know he even allows Judas to take part in the last supper uh, knowing full well who Judas was what Judas was going to do and but I'm like I, I walked away from that and I said to a friend of mine or some friends of mine later that I don't know I don't know what preaching is I don't know what evangelism is if it's not inviting sinners into worship and I don't know how any how you could worship anywhere if you don't invite sinners into worship because one of the things that I have gleaned both from being a Christian and from reading Christians throughout the century, centuries is 
It's only in the worship, in relation to Christ, in relation to the living God, that you even realize what sin is and the depth of it. So if you look at someone like Augustine, uh, it's sort of this movement from uh, these, these vices, like these sort of outward vice practice things that I do that I can identify and go, oh, that's, those are sins, right? Those are things that I did wrong. And you go, oh, I fixed those. But you only then realize that the roots of those things go deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper, which, you know, is part of Jesus' message that uh, you, it's not what's outside of you, but what's inside of you um, that is the root of sin. And so basically the only, the only way to be healed is if I give you a new heart, right? That Old Testament prophetic language of have a circumcised heart well you can't do that to yourself your community can't even really do that to yourself that's something the holy spirit does and it doesn't seem to be a quick quick surgery it's not day surgery it's uh it seems to be a lifelong process uh, if we take the other image of uh stone hearts right i'll give, take take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh then that depetrification, uh, you keep finding, to use an image from Stephen King's Pet Cemetery, you keep finding stony places in your heart, uh, and the Holy Spirit, Christ, is helping you to mine out those stony places and replaces it with flesh. And we'd like it to be instantaneous, and some of those things... Some of those things that we think are like big and God goes, oh, no, I can chuck, I can take a little pickaxe and chuck that out and give you some flesh there. That's, that's not a problem. What you really need to work on, what we need to work on together throughout your life is this area, which you weren't even paying attention to. And, and that is part of the engaging in the worship process is setting your mind on Christ. So I would say that all worship is an invitation and involves sinners because we don't uh, and sin sin to me um kierkegaard helps help me kierkegaard if i want to pronounce it more accurately uh helps be helped me to understand sin in a different way and and i think a more biblically accurate way um so in sickness unto death uh kierkegaard says we often say um we often think that the opposite of and i'm paraphrasing here the opposite of sin is virtue so that's when we're thinking uh well sin is doing these specific acts and i cut those out and then i replace them with uh acts that are you know perceived as good acts so we often think that the opposite of sin is virtue. But Kierkegaard reminds us the opposite of sin is faith. And that faith is a, a trust, a relationship. So for Kierkegaard, the, the uh, sin is not those little discrete actions we do 
sin is a misrelation. We are not in proper relation with God. And so in modern terms, you might think of sin as a dysfunctional relationship with God. And so over time, we are being invited into God's uh, ultimately functional family, but we're all dysfunctionally related to God, and we are learning to have a proper relationship with Christ. So we set him as our ideal, as our goal, and we work toward that. And that's the only way that the ramifications will be that in following Christ, we will start to do good things. But it's not like, oh, I'm going to end that ac action over there, which I deem or my society deems as bad or which I know to be not good. And I'm going to replace it with this thing, which I know to be good. So uh, let's do some extreme examples. So, you know, I am going to stop buying porn magazines and I'm going to start uh, giving alms to the poor. That's, that's great, but that's not really getting at the root of sin. That's not, that's uh, vice and virtue. Uh, overcoming sin is having a proper relationship with God. And then, as Jesus says, judge a tree by its fruit, out of, out of that proper relationship, good fruit will appear. And, I, and so one of the things that Kierkegaard and probably Augustine, he's probably following Augustine here in some ways, uh, helped me see is that you can do seemingly virtuous things and still have a, a core uh, sin. You can still have a stone heart or an uncircumcised heart. And again, that's Jesus' kind of comment to the, the Pharisees. You are whitewashed tombs. We can live as whitewashed tombs. We can have the veneer of virtue and still have rotten or stone-cold hearts. And so we have to trust in, in Christ. And I think I got onto that because I was like, even in the early church, um, with the arrival of the Holy Spirit, uh, that close to the apostles and the resurrection event, the early church is still growing and shaping in character. It wasn't, and it never was, and in this age, it doesn't seem like it will be an immediate leap from a perfectly relating kingdom. No, part of our part of our responsibility as followers of Christ, part of our growth, is precisely living through these uh, conflicts and finding our way forward and growing through them. It's not uh, finding that one Christian community that has no problems. Uh, most of Paul's letters are written to communities that he's familiar with that are having uh, various problems, conflicts, temptations. That's our model for, for how we are supposed to be living in this world is, yeah, you're going to encounter 
uh, the, the book of Revelation, seven churches. I, one or one maybe gets like full sort of praise, but you're going to encounter conflicts. You're going to have problems. You're going to have some serious issues in your Christian communities. As disciples of Christ, it's not about avoiding and running away from those. It's about growing through them and deal dealing with them wisely and uh, with with the characteristics of the fruit of the spirit and to be Christ-like in those situations. And it's not easy and we we fail at it, but we we keep we keep going and growing both as individuals and as communities. So that's kind of what I'm seeing here just in this first first thing. It's like, well, how are we going to deal with this? Do I take all this burden on myself and neglect my other responsibilities no we can appoint people and trust them so this is a relationship and uh create a trusting community the word of god spread and the number of disciples in jerusalem greatly increased even a great number of priests became obedient to the faith so in this practice there's continued growth so yeah that's that's my thoughts this morning just looking at you know the pointing of uh, people who are supposed to take care of the tables while um, others in the community are out preaching and spreading the gospel as their primary responsibility. Thanks for joining me this evening. I think I said this morning, I meant this evening, uh, for uh, um, just walking through part of the book of Acts, just considering it. And uh, if you found this helpful, please like it and share it in whatever uh, source, podcast source you're using. Thank you for joining me for this evening's personal reflection as I follow through Robert Murray McShane's Bible reading plan, which can be found on uh, for instance, BiblePlans.org. If you have found this helpful, encouraging, uh, uh, have you found it a, a way to begin to form your own habit of daily Bible reading and to give you an idea of the just one person's way of reflecting on Scripture, then don't forget to subscribe and turn on notifications uh, the readings and reflections will be posted twice daily, a morning and an evening. The morning probably around 8 o'clock and the evening uh, I'll try to post for around 5 o'clock. But, you know, find that space and time, whether it's while you're driving uh, to work or riding the bus. Or uh, for me, a lot of what I do is while I'm walking the dogs. And... Uh, yeah, just try to form your own daily habit and daily practice. So I hope you find this helpful. Uh, again, subscribe and select notifications so that you're informed of future podcasts. Thank you for joining me today on this episode of Star Cross Kingdoms. If you like this content, well, you probably already know what to do. Like, subscribe, and please share. 
Also, feel free to send in your questions. Just keep them friendly and conversational, and that way I'll be far more likely to respond to them. Until next time, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ.